1: Welcome to the Martech Podcast. Today we're going to discuss podcasting as an advertising medium. Joining us is Kurt Koffer and Steve Shanks, who are partners in the CMO and CRO, respectively, at Ad Results Media, which is among the first US based agencies to combine the disciplines of influencer marketing, audio advertising, and performance based media planning across media platforms that include podcasts, radio, and streaming audio. With more than 25 years of experience executing successful audio campaigns for a wide variety of companies, Ad Results Media is a leading purchaser of audio influencer ads globally, connecting brands with the world's most high-profile news, sports, and entertainment creators. Yesterday, Kurt, Steve, and I talked about the current state of buying podcast advertising, and today we're going to talk a little bit about evaluating podcast ad performance. All right. Here's the second part of my conversation with Kurt Koffer and Steve, the Podfather Shanks from Ad Results Media. Kurt, Steve, welcome back to the Martech Podcast.
3: Thanks for having us. Good to be here again. I see my nickname has
2: stuck for more than a day, so I like it.
1: I feel like you're going to be walking down the street and people are going to be pointing, going, "That's the
3: Podfather, the
1: Doctor Dre of the podcast industry."
3: We got reach and frequency. <laughs> We've said it multiple times. We have good reach. I feel like this is it.
1: You know, I can run an ad campaign just saying Steve is the pod father. We can really get the frequency up and perfect dovetail into our conversation today. We're talking about the actual advertising in podcasts. The way that I talk about podcast advertising to the people that I'm trying to sell my media to is... Look, you can go to the Scaled podcasts the Joe Rogan and The Ringer and Serial and all of those shows have incredible reach, millions of people listening to them, and you're going to get them to talk about your podcast next Tuesday, and you're going to get a million people to hear you, and they're going to hear you once, and some low-hanging fruit is going to come back and buy some stuff from you. But when you're trying to sell something that's a little bit more niche, like a B2B SaaS product, you have to think about a smaller audience and be much more targeted. So you should buy media from us because we talk to professional marketers. Steve, tell everybody how full of shit I am.
2: (laughs) Everybody has to have a different sales pitch. So I like that. Although there's some parts that I would disagree with, but when we... Approach it for each individual client, so we take a look at all of those factors and make a determination of what truly makes sense based on their budgets, what their overall goals are, because. I do agree with some aspects of advertisers. It doesn't make sense to jump on a Joe Rogan out of the gate, or it doesn't make sense to jump on some of these larger podcasts. And it makes sense to go after more niche podcasts where it has the subject matter expert or something where you can associate with that individual product and or service. So all of those things come into play. There are so many other variables. Like for us, we care about if a host has actually used a product and if they can speak to it. That's actually sometimes one of our top criteria. Number two, we do want to know what a pricing model looks like because no matter what, every podcast has value to it. And depending on what that pricing looks like, it can make some more or less attractive And number three, scale does come into play. So for some of our clients, they don't even want to look at podcasts that they don't feel like they can get that much of a pulse out of, or they ask, is the juice worth the squeeze? And sometimes it isn't out of the smaller podcast, where there are so many large podcasts at scale that we can gain value. So I I think there's a right approach for everybody, and it's not always the same approach.
1: I appreciate you calling me out on my BS and hey, look, it's a sales pitch on some level, but I do believe that when you are a, let's call it a growth stage business and your testing campaign is a couple of thousand bucks to start to figure out if a medium is working for you, When you spread the peanut butter really thin, sometimes it's hard to see if it's covering the bread. And when you have a large podcast that you're getting small amounts of frequency over a wide variety of people, as opposed to a smaller podcast where you get a higher frequency, it becomes easier to measure whether you're driving conversions. Now, there's a devil in the detail here. How much frequency do you need? What are the different ad spots that matter? integrating ads, dynamic insertion, should you be in the ads that are publishing today or the back catalog? Help me think about some of the variables and how much of that stuff matters, or is it just a download is a download and that's all that matters?
2: No, you're right. All that stuff goes into how we create our secret sauce, but I will go through some of the variables to make sure to call out to all of your audience of what we really look at and truly how we understand the space. So Downloads is definitely something that matters because we want to know how many people are listening and what that looks like overall.
1: Well, hang on a second, but a download's not a person. That's a file on a computer.
2: Exactly. So we know from the downloads and what the results ultimately look like, probably how many listeners someone truly has and how engaged those listeners truly are.
1: I'm going to make you spill the secret sauce here. <laughs> it's not a multiplier. I guess it's a divider. When you take the number of downloads that a show gets, how much do you divide it by to figure out how many people are listening? I say it's three.
2: There's not necessarily a straight answer to that, because the first question I'd have to ask to get to understand even my next layer of determination of how I want to break that down is, are they IABV1 compliant? Are they IABV2 compliant? Or are they not compliant at all? Because depending on understanding how they're differentiating those downloads, then we can understand what our true starting point is. So once we know what that starting point is, then we can start dipping into what we believe that overall looks like.
1: All right. So assuming that we have the most strict standard of IAB compliance, we're counting downloads the way that the industry standards are set. How do you think about figuring out the difference between a download and a listener?
2: So, we have to make assumptions, of course.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, but not 100% on an industry average. The average podcast? Mine
2: is a guess, but I would guess around 80
1: to 85%. 80 to 85% of downloads are actual listeners. Correct. Holy crap. That's way more than I ever thought it was going to be.
2: If it's IABV2 compliant, about 80 to 85% are actual listeners. And then from what's listening to your ads, anywhere from 75 to 95% are probably listening to your ads. So depending on where your ads are located, how they're done, if they're host-read, not host-read, DI, how many are back-to-back, all of those things, that's where those factors and variables start
1: adding into this whole thing. All right, Kurt, I'm going to kick this over to you this time. All right. So 80% of the downloads are actually listeners. How much frequency do you need to make an impact when you're selling advertising to media buyers? How many times should they try to reach one listener?
3: I think to Steve's point, some of this is variable depending on the type of ad buy it is, right? Whether it's a live sort of baked in ad versus a produced ad that's dynamically inserted, But I would venture to say that if we're going to be running a test, and Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we at least want three buys, right? three spots to run before we say, hey, this is trending well, this is not trending well, we need to make some changes here. So I would say a frequency of three or above, but there are instances if you have sort of a home run hitter like Joe Rogan or Dak Shepard or some of the other personalities that we work with we'll see immediate results. I mean, they do the endorsement and we'll see a deluge of orders or conversions coming in within the first 24 hours. So it's somewhat variable, again, based on what you're buying. But a best practice, I would say, is at least two to three episodes. I would never evaluate whether or not your ad buy on a certain podcast works or doesn't work based on one ad spot. You need more than that. And I would space it out in a specific flight. I wouldn't necessarily do it back to back to back. I'd space it over a certain amount of time so that you're ensuring that you're getting that unique listener on a repeat listen going forward.
2: One other thing to add to that is it also depends. So most podcasts are weekly or biweekly.
1: You don't get a lot of daily podcasts, I've heard. So
2: yeah, so as you're starting to add more daily podcasts, some of the frequency starts to change a little bit. So it really depends on the dynamic. So like for a daily podcast, you might want to double or triple the frequency that we would recommend on an overall standpoint, whereas a Kurt speaks to what we truly think of in the space of like two to three spots is what we truly need to really understand if a podcast, a weekly podcast is working. And then we're utilizing our database and our aggregate level of data to really make the determination of what the trajectory of that data will show us over a period of time if you continue to invest in the podcast. So for someone who doesn't know the space so well, they don't have an agency that has that understanding. Three spots may not be nearly enough for them because they don't know how it's actually going to play out and parse out and how they should then fight everything and work around it.
1: It's one of the things that drives me nuts when I talk to marketing agencies where I could say, hey, look, we have between our two shows about 100,000 downloads a month Just try to use round numbers. And they say, that's great. But all I care about is what your per episode rate is. And it's like, all right, we get three to 5,000 downloads per episode. And the response is always, well, we won't work with anybody until they get 10,000 downloads per episode. It's like, yeah, sure. If we only had one episode per week, we'd get a lot more listeners. We pump out a ton of content that naturally deflates the number of listeners per episode. Small nit on my part. All right, Steve, we were talking about the different advertising formats. What have you seen being effective? What's the difference between Pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll? How do you figure out the right mix for the right show and the right audience?
2: Most of the time, we're not necessarily dictating to the podcast or the network where exactly their spots are. We're, We're understanding, like for Joe Rogan, he does four pre-roll spots. We tell him, do a mid-roll spot. He's not listening to them.
1: He does like nine pre-roll spots now. <laughs> They're like a million of them. They take forever.
2: Right. There's a lot. And I will say some podcasters and networks have taken our advice and our opinions and have moved things around and have made things much more valuable to them. And they've seen how it's been a win-win for everybody. But for us, when we're looking, if we're just specifically speaking about pre-rolls, mid-rolls and post-rolls. We understand that a mid-roll is the most valuable thing, and that's because when you get into the content, everybody is fully tuned in, and when they hear your voice and they're fully tuned in, they're more likely to not skip, number one, and two, they're more likely to take that advice.
1: But aren't they pissed that you're disrupting the content?
2: We've actually seen studies that show that they want to get that advice and they want to make sure that they're getting everything out of it.
3: Yeah, I almost would refer you back to the Tim Ferriss study from a year or two ago where he wanted to go to just a donation model. So he thought that the ads, to your point, Ben, were really disruptive. He wasn't sure if the audience liked them, so on and so forth. He had planned to do a six-month test, from what I remember, where he was going to go to a straight donation model and remove all advertising. And I think within three to four weeks, the feedback was so strong from his listener base that they wanted the ads that he ended up stopping the experiment and putting them back in. And most of the feedback was around the fact that they learned about new products and services through Tim, they had explicit trust in Tim because it's an opt-in medium. They have this relationship with Tim and they really trust Tim to vet out new products and services for them where they would listen, they wouldn't fast forward, they engaged with the ads, and ultimately, you know, would enhance their lives. So I thought that was a pretty interesting use case for Tim Ferriss specifically, and you can go and look at the data, but I thought that was an interesting use case where his fan base actually sort of rejected the donation model, maybe because they didn't want to donate, but they definitely didn't mind the advertising in that sense either.
1: So when you think about not only who you're advertising with, the format of your advertising. And then the third piece is the actual evaluation of the campaign performance. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Yesterday, you mentioned there's PodSites, Chartable, a third provider. I don't remember what their name was. There's a couple of podcast advertising and analytics platforms. Are people really relying on those platforms to understand how their campaigns performed? Are they looking at different types of metrics to actually evaluate what drives business results?
2: We just keep referring to it as data triangulation. So we want as many data points as possible. The data points do come from promo codes, URLs, post checkout surveys, pixels, all of those things help us. We, as an agency, we'll pull all that together into a dashboard and pipe in other sources as well to show every one of our individual clients how their ads are performing at an individual show basis from an aggregate basis. And we can slice and dice the data in a ton of different manners. So really, we pull all those things together, we help determine and we're able to build decision trees on how we continue to optimize the campaign, scale the campaign and rely on that data to show how we're going to build the overall marketing channel. And it's been very effective to this point. And I believe as we continue to add more data points in there, whether it's through more pixel tracking or whatever else eventually evolves, then we'll be able to continue to optimize and scale those campaigns.
3: I would just like to add to that. So we also layer in an evaluation and critique of the creative. Creative is incredibly important when we're evaluating or correlating performance to the buys. So if we're looking at an endorsed ad, we go through a pretty rigorous evaluation of what was the quality of the host endorsement? How was the call to action? What was the quality of their delivery? The spot length relative to what we bought? Was there a music bed or no music bed? Was it branded or was it not branded? And we go through a very detailed series of points. So we have a team at Ad Results specifically of 17 people who go and evaluate all these endorsements, right? And we can really fine tune and we create a specific grade relative to each ad. And we could really fine tune how did the grade pan out for that one specific spot? And then we can sort of triangulate that back to the actual ad performance also. So it's another data input for us to say, okay, we obviously see the lagging indicator of conversions, but is there another qualitative aspect to that ad or to that purchase that may be impacting performance positively or negatively? And how do we understand trends relative to, hey, Joe Rogan crushes it, right? What about his delivery? What about his endorsement really works for him? Is it his audience? Is it something within the creative itself? And then if you're going to the produce side, it's the same thing. We really look for the quality of production. And how well is that ad integrated into the context of the show? And does it feel like it's a natural transition? Is it organic? Does it sort of feel like it's baked in, even though it's not? And if you look at Anna Ferris, she's always done a great job of taking a produced ad that is dynamically inserted and making it feel like it was naturally transitioned in and it's almost a part of the fabric of the show. The other thing we also look at is brand safety. So before we actually do the buys, we look to make sure that the brand is appropriate and aligned well with the actual show. So we have a pretty rigorous structure of how we go through and evaluate each show, And then we make sure that we work with our clients to say, hey, this may or not be appropriate for you. Here's the flag. Let's discuss it before we even go into the buy. So there's a lot of sort of pre-inputs that we put in place to make sure that as we're doing the media planning and we're doing the creative development, we're doing all those things to make sure that the performance is as positive as possible, in addition to making sure that we're purchasing the right shows and measuring them and tracking them properly.
1: One thing I've been meaning to ask, maybe I should ask this before, there's the relationship of the brand of the agency, and then of the publisher. And to me, this isn't always aligned to be successful. Often you'll have an agency that wants to sell media on a CPM model when the publisher, I'll use me as an example, I don't want to sell on a CPM model. We don't have enough inventory to be able to do that. So we create value-added services, advertorial content, data, retargeting, all the other stuff that we do to try to drive our listeners to the brand's front door. It feels like there's a little bit of a dance between agencies want to sell large shows with lots of inventories at CPMs that are relatively high. So they can take a percentage of the CPMs. And for smaller shows, that makes it very difficult for them to make enough money to support the content production. Talk to me about your thoughts about the advertiser, publisher, ad buyer dance
2: this played into why we were able to get such a good start with so many podcasters because that exact example was something we knew that every holding company or every Holdco and every agency out there would be thinking about and understand that pricing model and how it works out where we were buying podcasts on behalf of our clients for 25, $50, $75. It didn't make a difference. We wanted to do what made the most sense for our individual advertisers. So for us, this example doesn't necessarily fall into place because what we're always doing is trying to identify the tail and understanding that podcasters are going to grow over time and making sure that we're making the right investments with those podcasters. However, to your point, like with Holt goes, like I can't see them bringing someone to you on an individual basis, maybe on a programmatic way or maybe some other form or fashion, like within a larger plan. But yeah, I do agree that that is a big issue with a lot of the smaller and even medium-sized podcasts. You'd be surprised that a lot of those medium-sized podcasts have the same issues. And it's our job as an agency to make sure that we're bringing that connectivity again from the brands to the podcast and what makes the most sense in presenting it in a fashion to do what's best on behalf of them.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to do the math in my head. You know, 100,000 downloads a month at a $50 CPM. I'm pretty sure that's five grand. So you're going to drive $5,000 of revenue to create a podcast that reaches, in theory, 85,000 people. To me, that balance feels very off-weighted towards the media buyer and the agency and less for the actual content creator. When you get down to niche audiences like mine, I'm not creating a podcast for $60,000 of revenue a year. I live in the suburbs of San Francisco. That math doesn't work. Have you seen other podcasters outside of yours truly start to try to break away from that model and have they been successful?
2: Yeah, we've seen everything and I understand the math that you just went through and that goes back to what's the right math where all of a sudden a podcast is feasible to make it from a pure living standpoint and a true understanding of cost of living and from a business standpoint. So I think there's a lot of hard decisions of where people or where individual podcasters want to go all in on something or where it doesn't make sense. And to the Matthew laid out, like, yes, every single podcaster should be thinking about content in a 360 fashion of how they're making money off of social, how they're making money off of blogs or editorials, what they're doing on the video side, just anything possible. So, yes, we've seen podcasters do that. And in some cases, larger podcasters, I would say Barstool, who Kurt mentioned on yesterday's podcast is a company that is still evolving and trying to learn other areas to expand into to make sure that they are able to cover off on all those encompassing areas. So I don't think it's limited to just the smaller podcasters or smaller publishers. It's really kind of everyone trying to figure out where they fit in and how to make that economics work out.
1: Last question I have for you. There's a marketer out there that's got a meaningful budget, Tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They understand performance marketing. They know that they can give money to Google and Facebook. They've maybe done a little TV or some print, and they're thinking about getting into influencer and podcasting. Where do they go? How do they start? What do they pay? What do they buy?
2: First off, if they're doing TV, they should have probably done influencer marketing beforehand, so I would talk to them about that.
1: But <laughs> They have a lot of gray hair. I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> you did mention print, so that makes sense. So they should, in most cases, either find an agency that specializes in it, either us or another agency out there that truly understands the audio space. And I think that's really important if they want to work with audio influencers or try to understand if it is like one or two niche podcasts that they know very well, if it's very particular to their industry, I believe that they should be doing a reach out. And like we've had certain clients come to us where they reached out to their first 5 or 10 podcasters and were just trying to get those initial relationships set up because they knew there was such a tight niche fit that it made a lot of sense for them just to work with them and then as the program expanded and they realized they couldn't handle a lot of the processes and some of the finer details that's when they find their agencies and are able to help agencies can really take them from whatever level they're at to that next level so there'd probably be a lot of question on nuance of like how big their budgets are and what they're looking at and what the scalability of their business is. But I don't think it hurts no matter what to do some initial research on some individual podcasters that you think would be such a perfect fit for that individual brand, but then also finding the right partner to help take you to that next level.
1: Kurt, this seems like a question that's right up your alley. As the one who is marketing to the ad buyers, talk to me about how you think about the sales pitch of how to get started with podcasting.
3: Yeah. And for context, I also worked on the client side for many years. And ultimately, my first thought is I wouldn't lead. So if I'm starting from scratch, I wouldn't necessarily lead with podcast buying. I'd make sure I get the digital blocking and tackling on my paid search, my Facebook and my Instagram acquisition, anything that I can sort of scale digitally and make sure I really understand performance and what that sort of inflection point is where I start to reach diminishing returns on my ad budget relative to those channels. I think at that point, that's when I start to say, okay, what are my expansion plans? How do I scale my advertising and marketing? And I start looking at other mediums. And that's really where influencers come in, personality-driven media, specifically podcasts. So sequentially, I wouldn't necessarily lead with it because it's not as low funnel and as nimble as paid search or Facebook, but it is something to consider heavily. How I would essentially go to market in podcasting is to Steve's point. I would try and understand where I want to align my brand. So what podcasters interest me in terms of brand alignment? Who do I think is the right personality to really endorse and embrace my brand and bring it to their audience? And I'd probably start small and do a test. Maybe that test is $50,000. We can call it an arbitrary number. But I would sort of test a few podcasts that really align with my brand and as Steph Godin would call it, are, are probably like the sneezers, right? Those are the influencers that are going to really endorse your brand, send it out to the audience who are rabid listeners. They have trust in the host that they're listening to, and they're going to go out and actually try these products. They're going to adopt it, and they're going to endorse it. I think where agencies come in, specifically us, is we really have the ability to scale your program. So once you're serious, serious about it, and you've gotten some efficacy out of testing the channel, we're structured in a way that essentially we can go to market in a much larger capability. And I don't just mean from a media planning point of view. Like, as I mentioned before, we have a team, an operation team of 17 people who just listen to the ads. And and the value that comes out of that is not only good performance, but let's say that the host didn't necessarily have his best read of the day. We can go back to the host and try and redirect them coach them. We could say, hey, can we get a make good or a credit? And we work on the, on the client's behalf. And when you're working across 250 podcasters, the ability for the client side to scale that is pretty difficult when they have like one or two digital managers internally trying to do that. Or even the billing, for example. How do you go out to 250 podcasters and do all the invoicing for that or the media planning? So When you're really looking to start scaling, that's where an agency would come in. And that's where we come in because we have all those direct relationships. We have all the operations built out. We're just as nimble, but we have the breadth and the foundation to be able to take that to the next level. So as somebody who's on the client side, that's kind of how I viewed things sequentially when I brought other brands to market in the past.
1: What I'm hearing is podcasting is influencer marketing. You go and you figure out who are the people that are the most directly related to your brand, and you build a relationship with the actual people. You manage it yourself. You get them to know the brand, to love it, and to figure out what is going to work. And sometimes this is an iterative process. Sometimes it requires testing and you got to put your money where your mouth is. You have to start to actually think about scale. And once you've figured out what's working, then you bring in the hired guns and then you start to think about scaling. And that's where you're actually kind of manufacturing the growth within the podcast advertising landscape. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. We make sure that that relationship is developed from the beginning. So we'll onboard the client with the host. So if let's say we are working with you and you are endorsing ZipRecruiter, we'd make sure that relationship, you were talking to them, they were talking to you. If it was a product-based relationship, we'd make sure that we were seeding you the product and using the product and then coaching you through the benefits of it. And then that relationship isn't necessarily just sort of one touch point. It's evolving over time. And we make sure that that is continuous. So to your point, it's very much influencer advertising, just in a different form. And now it's actually becoming very much like integrated with all the other forms of influencers as podcasting is becoming the sort of lead. And then everything's branching out from there versus it being like a YouTube star who's then coming back into podcasting.
2: Yeah. Last note on that. I think most of the mediums that we talked about with digital or TV or whatever it is are mostly bought on data and how data optimization With some social influencers, you're buying it and you're just getting it in front. And, you know, you're probably using some data, but you also have some imagery or something attracting you to wanting to utilize those influencers in a certain way. What's really unique about in that audio space is because of that storytelling, it truly does come down to data and relationships. And we're that connective tissue that helps those clients scale in both of those areas.
1: I think that's great advice. Kurt, Steve, I appreciate you guys gracing us with your presence. We've got the Podfather. Kurt, should we go with consigliere of the podcast landscape?
3: Oh, I love it. Yeah.
1: All right. Hey, we're going to have to do a sequel someday, too. Maybe not the third one. Godfather, it didn't work, but we'd love to have you back on the show some other time. Thanks for being my guest.
3: Appreciate it, Ben. Thank you.
1: All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kurt Koffer and Steve Shanks from Ad Results Media. If you'd like to get in touch with Kurt and Steve, you can click on the link to their LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit their website, which is adresultsmedia.com. A-D-R-E-S-U-L-T-S-M-E-D-I-A.com.